right, uh, we are in the middle of a series. Actually, it's week two of a series called Follow Me, uh, where we're simply just asking one question the whole series, and it's, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And I talked uh, last week about how there's so many different versions of following Jesus. Like each person in this room might have like kind of their own personal version of what it means to follow Jesus. There's cultural assumptions about what it means to follow Jesus. Even across different like churches within the valley, there's different versions of following Jesus. In your family, family across family, there's different versions of what it means to follow Jesus. And we just kind of want to ask this one question. What does it mean to follow Jesus but according to Jesus himself? Uh, because I don't want to follow a false version of Jesus. I actually want to follow, like, Jesus of Nazareth, who actually, like, was God in human flesh walking the earth, who actually taught us what it means, like, to live within his kingdom. And uh, I want to follow the real Jesus. So last week, uh, we talked about how when Jesus called people to follow him, uh, he called people to something called discipleship. And uh, discipleship was just... Uh, it was a word in the culture that talked about an actual program that the Jewish people went through. And uh, the easiest way to think about it is like when Jesus called people to follow him, he was calling people to be like his apprentice or his apprentices. So as Christians, one of the first ways that you should think about your relationship with Jesus is that you're actually an apprentice of Jesus. And apprentices of Jesus, they have three goals. Uh, their first goal is to be with Jesus and and that's the idea of presence. Like everything that you do is just with Jesus. You wake up, you're with Jesus. You go to work, you're with Jesus. You do an email, you're with Jesus. You're in a conversation, you're, you're with Jesus. The second thing is that uh, apprentices want to become like Jesus. Like literally, like in the presence of Jesus, we actually experience transformation. So we actually want to be like Jesus in our lives. And then lastly, apprentices always seek to do what they apprentice under the person to do. So as apprentices of Jesus, as disciples, uh, we want to do what Jesus did in our lives as he did in his life. Does that make sense? And so tonight we're going to ask the question, uh, who does Jesus call to be his disciples? Okay? So that's where we're going tonight. Now let me ask you a question right off the, the bat uh, in, in this uh, kind of topic tonight. Who in your life would you say is spiritually sick? Like, would you like, would you, like show of hands, how many of you would say like, all right, like, I know somebody in my life who's just, like, spiritually really sick. A couple of you, right? Like, we all know that person. All right, now, how many of you, when I said that, thought of somebody else first besides yourself? Gotcha. I was, like, <laughs> Matthew, right here. No, but I, it's funny. I was actually thinking about that question tonight. I was, like, whenever I ask that question, like, who, who do I know that's spiritually sick? Like, it's, like, in me to think of somebody else before myself. And so if that was you tonight, when I asked that question, tonight's message is for you. Because Jesus has something to say about our hearts and how they flinch towards viewing other people and how we view ourselves. And so if you have a Bible with us, turn to Mark chapter 2, uh, verse 13. And so I, l I read this story last time um, as we were kind of like talking about what it means to be a disciple. We're actually going to jump into a story where Jesus calls... Um, Matthew, his, his name is also uh, Levi, to be a disciple, and we're going to kind of jump into this story, and uh, we're going um, to have a lot of fun in it, so it's going to be really good. So uh, Mark uh, chapter 2, verse 13, um, if you guys are following along, I have the NLT, uh, if you're using your phone app, and here we go. Mark chapter 2, verse 13. Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds 
uh, that were coming to him. Now, when you read the Bible, I want to encourage you, uh, Paul says this on Sunday, use your imagination. So kind of jump in the story. So Jesus is uh, out at the lake shore, so like right at the shore of the lake, and crowds are coming to him, and he's teaching them. Verse 13, as he walked along, so he's continuing to walk along, which is crazy. As he's teaching, he saw Levi, or that's Matthew, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. So Jesus is teaching the crowds. He's by the lake shore. And then as he's walking, he sees Matthew, or Levi, the tax collector. And this is what he says to Matthew. Follow me and be my disciple or apprentice. Come be my apprentice, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed Jesus. Verse 15, later Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests along with many other tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. And I love this. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. Verse 16, but when the teachers of religious law, uh, who were Pharisees, so like the religious leaders, the religious kind of pastors of the day, when they saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, so not even Jesus himself, they have to ask the disciples, why does he eat with such scum? Would you, that's pretty rude. Why would you eat with such scum? Verse 17, when Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. <coughs> All right, so here's what we're going to do with the, the story tonight. This is really simple. We're going to jump in this story and we're going to like kind of get inside of it with our imagination. And we're going to look at this story from three different sets of eyes or three different perspectives. We're going to look at Matthew, uh, who Jesus called to be his disciple. Like, how would he have experienced the story? Uh, we're going to look at Jesus, like through Jesus' eyes, Jesus' perspective. Like, what did he see in the story? Along with the Pharisees, these kind of religious leaders, what did they see happening in the story? And then at the end, we're going to like apply all of this to our lives. Really simple, okay? Sound good. All right, so let's jump into Matthew. So Matthew... Uh, let's ask the question, who was Matthew? Uh, his name could also be Levi. I'm just going to call Matthew the rest of uh, the message tonight. Um, so the first thing that you need to know is that Matthew was a tax collector. And if you've been in the church a long time, I just really want to encourage you, like, don't just, like, fill in your definition of tax collector and your familiarity with the story. Like, try to hear this for the first time. But a tax collector uh, in this society, it was a person who was hired by the Roman government to impose taxes on the common people. Right, so Rome needed to tax the people, so they would hire tax collectors uh, to, yeah, impose taxes on the people. But the thing is, tax collectors in this culture and in this time period, they would actually charge more than Rome required to pocket money for themselves. And Rome did not care at all. So, like, if you come and you owed, like, five denarii, they say, like, hey, like, Rome only requires five, but Aiden, you need to give me eight. Right? So they would pocket that three and then give the five to Rome. So they had a reputation for being extremely dishonest and extremely uh, rude in the fact that they would just take advantage of people. And not just, like, take advantage of, like, people like, fine, I have three extra dollars. They would take advantage of poor people. So people that could actually barely, like, take their, like, could actually pay their taxes, they would take advantage of those people. And not only that, there's another layer to this story. Matthew wasn't only a tax collector, but Matthew was a Jewish tax collector. So as a Jewish tax collector, it was even worse because essentially Matthew was helping the Romans oppress his own people for personal security and gain. 
So, so when they came to the tax booth, the tax tax booth—that's what they called it. When they came, to, when they came to the tax booth, uh, not only was it just a somebody that like like the Israelites or the Jews, they didn't just see a person sitting there, but they actually saw some of their own like kindred, some of their own family. Like Matthew was a Jew himself, and they're like, "Listen, you're like actually helping the enemy of the people of God oppress the people of God." And then there's a third level to this. Matthew, uh, he was a tax collector. He was a Jewish tax collector. Tax collector, uh, but he was also some scholars say a tax a tax collector for fishermen. Now this is really interesting because where his tax booth was means most likely that four of the other disciples, a story before this, who Jesus just called Peter, Andrew, James, and John, were taxed by Matthew. Isn't that interesting? So so imagine this: you're Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and you show up. And you're with Jesus as he's teaching people. And then he calls Matthew, who actually took advantage of you and your family, to be another apprentice alongside of you. Do you feel the hatred that's kind of like arising in people's hearts for Matthew? Now let's get in like Matthew's shoes himself. Like that's a little bit about Matthew, who he is. But like think about his own like as a person, his own experience. Matthew was like, and I don't want to like underestimate this. He was hated by people. And we hate people like Matthew. We, culturally, like people that take advantage of others, people that are dishonest, we hate those types of people. And this actually would have been really hard for Matthew, because think about this. Have any of you, like, ever been in a space where you feel like you have actually no safe place to go? Like, have any of you guys felt that? Like, if I go there, I don't feel safe with them. If I go there, I don't feel welcome with them. I just kind of feel like I'm on an island. Matthew would have felt a little bit like that, because here's why. The Romans who hired him would have thought of him as a slave and as a, like, a less-than-human type of person that they could just use to get money. So the Romans didn't accept him, so he wouldn't have been accepted in Roman society. They would have just kind of dismissed him as a Jew, like, you're just part of the people that we've taken captive. But with the Jews also, the Jews would have re- rejected Matthew, and they would have hated him because they would have viewed him as a, be- like, as a betrayer of God and of themselves and of his people. So Matthew... Although he was doing things that were dishonest and sinful, he sat at his tax booth for who knows, like, who knows how long, day after day after day, taking on the hatred and resentment of people into his own heart day after day. Now, put yourself in his shoes. Have you ever been hated before? Like, have you ever had somebody not like you? Like, it's not fun. Like, if my wife's mad at me, I'm, like, miserable all day. I'm, like, oh, man, I have to go home. Like, what type of conversation are we going to have? Like, it actually disrupts my, like, emotional health. It disrupts my heart. It disrupts my soul. Now, imagine, like, in your life, like, somebody, like, hates you. Like, not just, like, doesn't like you. Like, somebody hating you. Now, imagine a whole community of people that hated you. And you were with them every single day. Imagine how that would feel for you. And so this is Matthew, day after day, He's imposing taxes upon people. He's taking on the resentment and anger of people. And then Jesus comes up, and I want to reread these verses. He sees Matthew at his tax booth, and in verse 14 he says, As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus. I just want you to sit there. He saw him. So he stops. He didn't go, oh, like he sees him. He looks at him, and he says, follow me and be my disciple. Now, I want you to put yourself in Jesus' shoes for a second. If you were Jesus, 
and you see Matthew, if you were, like, I'm just going to be honest, if I saw Matthew and I were Jesus and I had, like, the authority of Jesus, the wisdom of Jesus, I would have been, like, I would have walked right up to Matthew and be, like, dude, you're taking advantage of people. Like, like, dude, like, don't you know, like, you're sinning against God. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus walks up to Matthew, and he sees Matthew robbing people, hurting people, causing pain. And by the way, it's the pain of people that Jesus really loves. Jesus, his own family, and most likely Jesus himself. Now, if you sin, if you hurt me, like, that's okay. Like, that'll be hard in and of itself. If you hurt, if you hurt somebody I love, my anger for you, are, like, goes out the roof. So Jesus sees Matthew, he sees him wrong people as love, and Jesus doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't condemn him, he doesn't do that. He says, Matthew, he goes, come and follow me. Come and be my disciple. For the first time probably in Matthew's life, Matthew goes from being treated like trash by everybody that knows him to being dignified as a human being where Jesus actually wants to invest into his life. And, I, and here's another thing. It's easy to get on, on people like Matthew because you're like, well, they chose to do what they were doing. They don't, don't they deserve it? But I actually think the reason, like, it wouldn't make sense for Matthew actually to leave his tax booth because he actually would have been making a lot of money as a tax collector. So for him to take Jesus' call to actually be a disciple probably means, this is my guess, that he actually ultimately maybe didn't even want to be a tax collector. Like, I, I think he actually, like, he was sitting there, and maybe that was the only way that he could make ends meet with his family. Maybe his family was in a bad situation, and it's like, hey, the only way that I can actually can get out of this hole is to actually start making some money. And so he took a job that he didn't want to and didn't realize what he was doing to him. He, I think Matthew actually knew how sick he was. And so when Jesus comes and says, come be my disciple, it's not like those things that we go, like, okay, Jesus, you know, you just like automatically follow him. I think he would have actually been, like, like shocked and like, oh, my gosh, like, yes, I'll come be a disciple. So Jesus invites Matthew to come, uh, and he puts on a dinner party for him. And I want you to, uh, I want you to reread these verses again. So Jesus calls Matthew. Uh, Matthew uh, then throws a party with other sinners, other uh, tax collectors. And now we're going to look at the story from Jesus and the Pharisees' perspective. Verse 15 says, Later Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. I really just want you to picture this table. Picture Jesus with a bunch of people that you would go, they are super messed up, and I don't want to be around them. Like a bunch of hated people from society just sitting around Jesus. And the teachers of the religious law who were Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, and they asked the disciples, why does he eat with such scum? And then Jesus responds, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. So if you're looking through this scene from the, from the, from the perspective of Jesus and then the perspective of the Pharisees, I really want you to get in their shoes because uh, I want to kind of compare and contrast these things. So Jesus, he sees Matthew's condition, and, and he goes, man, this is an opportunity to love somebody. And he's filled with compassion. The Pharisees, they see, like, the tax collector Matthew, and they see the other sinners, and they go, this is an opportunity to judge somebody. See, Jesus loves to fill his table with people who the world calls scum. 
And what I love about Jesus is he, he, he draws sinners to himself. Like, typically reli- religious people kind of repel sinners. Have you ever seen, like, like, oh, he's a pastor. Like, I don't really want to be around him. Jesus had, like, a magnetic way of drawing people who were broken, messy, and messed up to his life. Whereas the Pharisees, they actually repelled the sinners. See, the Pharisees, they saw a problem, and Jesus saw a person. And so what we're actually getting here is we're getting a window into two different types of hearts that we can have as people in general, but two as followers of Jesus. We see a judgmental heart, which is represented by the Pharisees, and then we see a compassionate heart, which is represented by Jesus. And I just want to stop for a second and apply a couple of these things to our lives. One, um, we see that a judgmental heart, it distances itself from people who aren't worthy of God's grace. You see that the Pharisees, they distance themselves from the sinners and they claim by their, their like kind of statements about they say they're scum, they're, that they're not worthy of God's grace. But a compassionate heart, the heart of Jesus, moves towards people who actually aren't worthy of God's grace. And so the second thing that we see is that a judgmental heart, it criticizes and points the finger at messy, sinful lifestyles. Like, you ever know, like, ever, like, maybe this is you or maybe you're in a family. Have you ever, like, been around people that always point the finger at messy lifestyles? Like, that's, the, like, the Pharisees, like, scum, you know, like, sinners. Like, they point the finger. So they, they point the finger at messy, sinful lifestyles. The compassionate heart, on the other hand, wants to see messy, sinful lifestyles transformed by, the God, by God's grace. So one points the finger and criticizes the compassionate heart of Jesus yes, sees them in their sin, but wants God's grace to transform that person. The judgmental heart, the heart of the Pharisees, it ranks people and defines their worth based on behavior. You see this? Like, in their thought, there's like, Jesus, you shouldn't be around these people because there's different ranks of people. Based on their behavior, they're a lower rank. They're less than. And so, yeah, like, Jesus, you shouldn't be eating with them. And the compassionate heart of Jesus makes no distinction between people and rejects every system of ranking and classifying people. And we do, this in, we do this in our lives, too. We classify people. We classify, we rank people. Like, typically, you only spend time with people that are kind of ranked high in your list. The person in your small group or at your work who's just kind of like that person. Even that language, that person, you know, like they're just kind of that person, is a classification of what that person is. In a judgmental heart, it, it, it classifies people. A compassionate heart erases all distinctions and says everybody's welcome at the table. The last thing that we see is that a judge, and this is the probably really convicting if you've been in the church a long time. The judgmental heart fears contamination from those who are spiritually sick. Like, I don't want your sin to contaminate my life. Like, just stay away. The Pharisees can't get close to the mess because they don't want to be contaminated by the scum of the world. The compassionate heart, on the other hand, is concerned about contaminating the sinner with God's love. So one goes, like, man, I can't get all, like, whatever you are, like, it's just too much. I can't do it. But the compassionate heart's like, all I can see when I see the mess is, like, I just want to contaminate you with the love of Jesus. And so we see in this story that the Pharisees, They have a judgmental heart. Jesus has a compassionate heart. And they all view this story from different lenses. And what does this mean for our lives today? And this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. What does it mean to follow Jesus from the story? And I think it means two things, and we're going to unpack it the rest of the time. One, 
Uh, to follow Jesus is to bring him our spiritual sickness. To follow Jesus, one, is to bring him our spiritual sickness. And the second thing that we see is to follow Jesus is to go after those who are socially set aside and spiritually sick. So let's unpack those together. To one, to follow Jesus is to bring him our spiritual sickness. If you read this story, you are Matthew in this story. Now, listen, uh, sometimes when you read things like this, I was actually doing some discipleship stuff with uh, uh, Noah Carlo and um, another guy that we're close with. And I, we're, I think we were actually reading the story, and I'm like, hey, like, it's really easy to read stories like this and go like, man, that was so personal. That's so cool, the way that like, Jesus interacted with them. And one of the things I wanted to show you is like, Matthew at the tax collector booth just represents him and his sin and in his status. And you may not be at a tax collector booth, but Jesus came up to you in your sin, in your status in society, and he approached you. And so when Jesus comes up and he sees Matthew in his sin, yes, and when he sees him in his pain, Jesus moves towards him. And just as personally as Jesus goes, Matthew, like, follow me, leave that life. Many of you have had that experience, and I've had that experience, where Jesus that personally has come up to you through the Spirit and has says, hey, follow me. Leave your life of sin and come apprentice under me. Come, a whole, come learn a whole new way to be human. But there's a problem that I was thinking about with our spiritual sickness. Uh, the first problem is that some of us, we don't think we are that sick or sick enough to see the doctor. Right, Jesus in the story is the doctor. And let's just be honest, some of us don't think we are that sick or sick enough to, be, to see the doctor. Uh, and some of you, this may be like, if you're an unbeliever in the room, like this is kind of like your whole issue with Christianity. They're like, I just don't like that Jesus says I'm in the wrong, that like Jesus says like there's actually like this disease called sin that's corrupting you. They're like, I actually just think I'm actually pretty fine without Jesus. And, and others of you, even if you're a Christian, there's sometimes there's Christians who think that they just, they just need minor adjustments. You know, like, I'm not that sick. I just kind of need to be, like, a couple cues from, like, a pastor. Or, like, if, if I just listen to that podcast, I can kind of adjust my life. And I'm, I'm not actually in need of transformation and healing. I'm just in need of adjustments. This is why when we, like, when I ask the question, like, who do you know in your life who's sick? Our first flinch is to think of somebody else. Because we always think of ourselves as in a better light than we do other people. And I was thinking about this through the lens of, so I, for those of you who have been around me recently, you know I've been having, like, back issues really bad for, like, over a month now. Like, I'm going to the chiropractor. I've, spun, I've spent way too much money on my lower back. And um, Dr. Hill, uh, so I'm advertising Dr. Hill. Dr. Hill, the chiropractor, I remember when I walked into his office for the first time, and he kind of, like, took x-rays of me. He looked at my spine. My spine, like, does this, you know, and then, like, my, like, like butt does this. <laughs> and it's just like he's listening, and then it's like it closes up on my nerves and all sorts of stuff. And I and I'm going into the chiropractor, going like, "Listen, I just want my back pain to go away." And he goes, "You actually got a lot of issues, and like, you need to take them really seriously because if you don't, it's only going to get worse." But I'm like, "There's part of me that goes like, but I just want my back pain to go away." And he goes. But you need to, like, like you, your whole back needs to be adjusted. Like, you're not flexible at all. You haven't stretched your whole life. Like, you have one leg that's, like, longer than the other. 
and like now you need to, and he's just like, he's looking at my body, and he's like, your body like is broken, and I'm like, but I just want my back pain to go away, and we do that with Jesus, don't we? We're like, Jesus, I just want my anxiety to go away, and he goes, but like you're putting your trust in things that aren't God, and it's causing anxiety in your heart. Like, Jesus, I just, I just want my relational anxiety to go away. And Jesus goes, but you're, you've made relationships your God, so if, if it's not going well for you, it's going to do that. And so we, we kind of, like, ask Jesus for, like, a pillow to comfort us in our sin because we just want the symptom to go away, but Jesus wants to go to the root and transform the whole thing. You know that, right? This is why, like, so many people get interested in Christianity. They're like, I just need some, like, self-help. I just need to be adjusted. And, like, Jesus, like, hey, listen, if you can make my life better, like, if you can make the symptoms go away, like, I'm on board. But, like, if you actually want to, like, put me through rehab, like Dr. Hill, I don't know if I'm interested. And so that's the first problem is we actually view ourselves in a better reason. Like, we don't think we're actually that, like, sick or sick enough to see the doctor. And Jesus would go, you're really sick. And, like, you actually need to, like, have some parts of your heart, the dead parts, like, cut out, and it's going to hurt a lot, but I want to breathe new life into those areas. And so that's the first thing. The second thing that, uh, problem that we have, and uh, we probably experience all of these things, but here's another way that we avoid the doctor, is that we actually think we're too sick to see the doctor. Have you ever talked to somebody, and they're like, hey, you're really sick, you should go see the doctor, like, what are they going to do? You know? Like, you act, they like, they like, you literally think, like, the, like, your problem and the doctor's ability, like, actually don't match. And we do that with Jesus. Uh, we say, it sounds like this, Jesus can't heal me. Uh, the amount of times that I've thought, and let's just be honest, there's parts of our lives that we're like, I just don't know if Jesus can actually change this part of my life. I've told you guys last week, like, I feel like I've gone through the last two or three, maybe like a month or so, like, I'm just like, I just feel like I'm a little stuck spiritually. And I don't, I'm not like complacent in the stuck. I'm just feeling like a little lethargic spiritually. And I'm just kind of like, and I'm like, man, I'm having to like put away these desires that I have. And I'm like, honestly, it's really tempting to go, man, Jesus can't heal this part of my life. And so I avoid him. Um, and then there's, and then there's some of us that we go like, man, like, so we just kind of give up on the whole thing. Because we go, man, I just don't think Jesus actually has the ability to do what he said he was going to do. And then there's also shame. Like, we're embarrassed of our sickness. And so, like, we know Jesus is a doctor. We know he can actually heal us. But I'm actually embarrassed to see the doctor's face when I come in to the doctor's office. You know? So, Dr. Hill, back to the story. He, uh, he told me, I've never heard a doctor say this before. It's crazy. He goes, if you don't do what I tell you, I'm going to fire you. And I was like, you can't fire me. I'm paying you to, like, he's like, no, like, if I, like, show you how to get better and uh, if you don't do your exercises, if you don't stretch, like, I'm going to fire you when you come back. <laughs> I was like, okay, sounds good. And I think that's what happens. Like, we go to Jesus, and he goes, like, listen, here are the steps that you need to do to get better. Like, you need to confess to somebody. You need all this stuff. And then you don't do those things, and then you're like, okay, I'm going back in the office. Like, Jesus is going to fire me, you know? Or maybe he won't fire you, but he's going to shame you. Or maybe, like, he won't, like, shame you, but, like, he's going to kind of, like, give you that, like, again look. And so we get embarrassed about our sin to Jesus. And here's what I want to encourage you. If there was just one thing, an invitation of Jesus, this is what I want. You should write it down. You should stick it in your mind. Your sickness 
is what qualifies you to see the doctor. If Jesus, if Jesus did not love to heal sick people, he would not have called himself a doctor. So Jesus, he sees Matthew, he sees these scum that the Pharisees say, he sees these disreputable sinners, and it actually brings joy to Jesus to see his patients healed. And even when you come back with the same thing over and over and over, it Jesus' joy to give you grace and mercy again and again and again. I was talking with somebody after the retreat who was kind of struggling with, like, I just can't stop. In this category, it was drugs and women and all this stuff. And he's just like, I just, I, I try, I fail, all this stuff. And I kind of like, and he was just really struggling with, like, God's character. Like, how could God continually forgive me for what I've done? And I kind of used, there was an illustration. I don't know if it was in the gentle and lowly book list, but, which is a great book. Um, but it was kind of talking about, like, have you ever, like, worked really hard on something? Like, really hard on something, and then, you, then like, someone else got to enjoy the fruit of your labor? So an easy example would be, like, you, like, let's just say you make, like, you work really hard on a dinner. Like, it's, like, your best dinner ever. You make it, you invite people over. Like, how much joy, like, it actually brings you more joy to see the guests feast with the meal that you made than you actually, right? And I think in the same way, Jesus, when he put in the work of the cross, so to speak, and he went through that, on the other side of that, seeing people enjoy the work of grace and forgiveness that he provided brings him the most joy. It's just like I, I worked and I put myself through that in love so that I could forgive, and now I get to watch people enjoy the, the grace, even when they don't deserve it, and I love it so much. And so your, your sickness is what qualifies you to see the doctor. So Christian, come to Jesus. All right, the second thing that we see, and this is where we're going to get up in our business a little bit about how we love people, is to follow Jesus. Uh, one, yes, is to bring him our spiritual sickness, like Matthew and other, these other sinners. Bring it to the presence of Jesus. The second thing that we see, though, from Jesus himself is that if we are, so the whole thing that we said, we're, we're be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. So what did Jesus do here? He went after the sick, and he went after the social outcasts. So to follow Jesus is to go after those who are socially set aside and those who are spiritually sick. So yes, there are people that are sick around you, not just yourself, and Jesus calls us to go after those people. And Jesus literally, listen, those that are set aside, I don't know who this is at your work, I don't know who this is in your neighborhood, I don't know who this is in your life, but those who are set aside, those who are judged, and those that are hated by the world are the people that Jesus wants you to go after. Listen, but in order to do this, we need to abandon our inner, our inner Pharisees. See, when we read a story like this where the Pharisees go, those are scum. Why would you hang out with them? You may not say that out loud, and you may not use that language necessarily because you're more polite than the Pharisees, but you think that about people. I sit down with people all the time, and it's very, like, we mask it in, like, Christian language. I'll sit down with somebody, and they're like, man, this person in small group, like, I just can't with them. I just, they are, like, you know, and it's just the whole idea. It's, okay, so it's like, all right, distance, like, categorize, treat differently. You know what I'm saying? Like, we do this in our own life. Or, like, it might be, like, that employee at your work, like, let's just be honest. They don't work hard. Uh, they cut corners. And you just, like, you're like, I cannot stand them. It might be a family member. 
whoever those people are, Jesus goes, if you want to imitate me, that's who you go after. It was interesting. I, was, I had a family vacation um, or a family um, reunion a couple weeks ago. And uh, one of my family members got divorced recently. And the wife honestly treated the husband like it was really bad. Like I think there was affairs involved and all this stuff. And um, this, the husband's sister who was there said something like this. She's like, I don't hate people. She goes, but this girl, I hate her. And it was just I was like, she's like, I just absolutely hate her. And I was like, yikes, you know, like, uh, <laughs> and I was like, and I was honestly, like, I was tempted to really judge her. I was like, wow, you don't sound like Jesus. But then I was like, yeah, I kind of do that too. Like, I kind of do that too. And I think that's what Jesus would say is like, listen, whatever, however that part of you rears its head is the inner Pharisee that needs to actually be put to death in your heart. And, and, and what Jesus would say is we need to start we need to stop, like, sorting people into classifications of good and bad, worthy and unworthy, deserving and undeserving, and actually cultivate, like, not just tolerate, but cultivate hearts for the most hated and rejected in society. And here's what I want to give you a picture of. Whenever you judge somebody, whenever you judge somebody, you set yourself up over people and you write people off from a throne that God never put you on. I want you to hear this. Any time that you judge somebody in your heart, you place yourself on the throne of Jesus. And from a superior position, an elevated position that you put yourself on the throne, you therefore claim that you see everything as it is, and you, and you start placing people there, like, you're annoying, you're, like, you're definitely a sinner, God can't do anything with you. And, and the assumption is that you're so wise and that you're so godly that you have the right to be on the throne. And, and I, I want to say this in a very kind way. Jesus, in, is in his love and grace, is saying, like, you got to get off my throne. That's mine. Because the only person that can look into a community, that can look into a person's situation and actually clearly identify what's going on, and who has the right to judge is Jesus. And so 710, like if we're to be a community that's like Jesus, we need to be known for our compassion of like seeing people who are like really sick and really ugly and really all that. And, and actually like they see that and our hearts melt because we want to see that person transform, not going like, oh, it's that person. And that's what Jesus is calling us to do. Um, and here's, the, here's one of the questions that I want to ask you very personally. In your life, are you a boundary setter or a boundary breaker? In your life, because see, the Pharisees, they set up boundaries, un, like unseen boundaries, but boundaries that set them apart from other people and like kind of place different classifications. Uh, Jesus, he's a boundary breaker. Listen, for him to go after a tax collector, it's so far hard for us to understand but it literally would have been like, you don't do that, Jesus. And so 710, as a community, you, at your work, do you break those, those stereotypes, those boundaries, as representatives of Jesus who are supposed to imitate him? Because like when, when you're at your work and you like actually are kind to the person who's rude to everybody, right? Or like that family member that everybody gossips about, and you're like, you bless them, and you want to see them transformed? Like, 
do people look at you and go, you don't do that. Like, why? You don't do that. We don't do that. But Jesus, he's a boundary breaker. He's not a boundary setter. Now, I feel like I need to clarify this. This does not mean there's no accountability. This does not mean within the family of God, there is accountability. Uh, If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, we do hold each other accountable. But it does not mean that we judge. We understand? All right. All right, so last, last thing, and we'll end here. Um, how, do we, how do we be boundary breakers in our lives? Like, if we really want to follow Jesus and, like, be people that, like, like actually go after the Matthews, uh, there's, there's three things that we need to do. One, uh, from the story, we need to recognize that we are just as sick and in need of Jesus as the people that we judge and categorize. So when you see that person and when, people t- when, you, when anger arises in your heart towards that person, it's actually true that you're just as sick as them and that you need Jesus just as much as them. And when you actually see them in their brokenness and that even maybe the seed of, like, let's just say an affair. Like, I'm so mad at them. They had an affair or they cheated on me. But then can you see the seed of lust in your own heart? And to go, like, the disease that's in them is the disease that's in me. It actually gives you the compassion that you need to then approach them. Two, uh, we talked about this last week, but we need to eat and spend time with people who are far from God. Listen, I really want you to hear this. We cannot win people we are unwilling to eat with. Jesus, Jesus literally ate his way through the Gospels. He did. If you read through the story, like, Jesus ate his way through the Gospels with people that were far from God. And if we want to, to like, if we want to actually reach the people, the Matthews, and the tax collectors and the sinners with reputation, we need to be willing to eat with people who are far from God. Plug for next Tuesday. Bring your friends. Third, um, and this is really great, and I think this is really helpful, you need to introduce people to the doctor by sharing how he healed you. Introduce people to Jesus, the doctor, by sharing how he healed you. And I love this. It's, it's a people, people will love to find their stories in your story. And this is why being so vulnerable is just really great. If you can sit down with people who are far from Jesus and be like, I was like kind of like a really lust-filled person. Like I was really greedy. Like I like all I could think about was building a life of comfort for myself. And then Jesus saved me from that. Like and he healed me. And I'm still being healed by those things. Like I was a really angry person. Like I was mean to people. But Jesus healed me. Like, people want to be healed. Sometimes they just don't know what needs to be healed. And so if you can recognize that, man, I am just as messed up. Man, I'm going to, like, eat with you and have table fellowship with you. And I'm just going to share with you how the doctor healed me. That will do a lot more in people's lives than you think it will. And even if they leave the table not saying anything, it's so funny. One of my neighbors, I've tried to make a practice of eating regularly with um, them. (coughs) And he's not a believer. And he'll, it's funny, he'll, I'll say things just about, like, my walk with Jesus. Like, I said, I've said stuff like, man, like, I really try to, like, make everything I do in my life about Jesus. And I'm not perfect. But just, like, really simple things. Like, everything I do, I try to bring Jesus into it. And then we'll, like, talk three weeks later. He's like, you know how you said, like, you make Jesus a part of everything? Of your, you know? Like, he just starts, like, he picks up on, like, me sharing. And if you can do that with your coworkers, with your neighbors, with whoever it is, it does a lot people. And so as we conclude, here's what we see in the story. Uh, One, as followers of Jesus, we need to bring our sickness to Jesus. 
bring your sickness to Jesus. Two, we need to recognize that we follow Jesus with other sick people. So when other sick people act sick, we don't need to freak out. Uh, we follow Jesus with other sick people. And then lastly, we go after those who are sick. Sound good? All right, as we conclude, uh, here's my, uh, my community challenge or live it out challenge for us. Uh, let me ask you one question. Who is the Matthew in your life? You and me are Matthew. But once we get past that, who is the Matthew in your life? Who's the person that people have set aside? Who's the person that maybe like you're angered by? Who has taken advantage of you? Who is the Matthew in your life? And I think one of the things Jesus would say is a really practically, here's my live it out challenge. Find a way to share the table with that person somehow this month. Maybe it's not this week. Maybe it's next Tuesday. Um, but as followers of Jesus, we need to share the table with the tax collectors and the sinners and so that we would be healed of our sickness and so that we would extend the grace and healing mercy of Jesus to those around us. Sound good? All right, let's pray. Uh, Lord, we love you. And God, we're so thankful for, uh, God, we're so thankful that you come after those who know they are sick. And Jesus, so I, I do pray uh, that you would make us aware of the areas in uh, my life, in our life, in this community, God, that, that we're sick, and God, that we need the doctor's healing touch. Uh, Jesus, I pray that we would know that you are, are so merciful and gracious, and God, that you would love, uh, God, to use us to reach those in our community and those at our work and at our school, God, that are far from you. Jesus, you really want to use us. And so, God, I pray that as we carry your presence out this room and into the world, God, that we would be on mission, uh, that we would see that this is what it means to follow Jesus as your uh, as our as uh, apprentices of you, Jesus, we want to do what you did. And so, God, I pray that we would go after the Matthews and the tax collectors and the sinners. Um, Lord, we're so grateful uh, for how kind you are. And I pray that we walk very close to you. In your name that we pray. Amen.